So today we're continuing our way through the, the book of Isaiah in this short uh, one-month series. And last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 7, uh, this promise of God that he would send a, a child, Emmanuel, who would be the great proof that his people don't need to be afraid of anything, that, that God is in control of, of history, he's in control of the of the world and a, and a promise that seemed foolish to the, the worldly wisdom at that time, but actually was pointing forward 700 years from the time of Isaiah, because this is 700 years BC. And yet some of the, the clearest proclamation of who Jesus is comes in the book of Isaiah. And that's part of the reason that it, it, it's a common book to, to study at this time of year because of the way that it proclaims the, the Christmas story. And as we'll see, I think that that's an amazing testament itself to uh, the truth of Christianity, that, that this isn't something that, we, that was made up, that even before Christ, who he was, was predicted and displayed um, so clearly. So this is the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. And if you're using a pew Bible, um, it's on page 573. So again, Isaiah 9, verse 1 to 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we know that you and your zeal accomplish your purposes. Uh, the, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Lord, uh, we, we long for you to to do that, that zealous work among us here today, uh, that, that we would understand your word, 
that we would be able to apply your word, that we would be able to we'd be able to break through into hearts that are hard, um, minds that are distracted. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you keep your Bible open, um, as, as, as we often do, we're going to walk straight through this passage, and so it'll be easier to follow along if, you're, if your Bible's um, there. We're going to walk through this in, in three sections. Uh, so first, the, the darkness. That's verse 1 to 2. And the second, the light, verse 3 to 5. And then finally, the light giver, verse 6 to 7. So the, the darkness, the light, the light giver. So let's look first at the, the darkness. Um, and you'll see this in verse 1 in your Bible if you look there. Again, I'll, I'll read it once more. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness. On them light has shone. And so you see here, I mean, it's, it's describing light shining, but the backdrop is this darkness here. And it, and it talks about there being darkness in Zebulun and Naphtali. And that's what's so interesting to me about these prophecies of Jesus is they're, they're very much tied up in, in real events that were going on 700 years before Christ, yet pointing forward. So it's not that they, it wasn't relevant for the people at that time and only later, but it's really relevant for both. Because Zebulun Naphtali, if you were to you know, flip to the back of your Bible and look at the maps that are probably there, uh, this is on the, the, the northern border of Israel. So uh, you'll remember we said last week that at the time of Isaiah, the kingdom of Israel was actually divided into two kingdoms, the north and the south. And so this is the, the far northern border of the northern kingdom on the western bank of the Sea of Galilee. And when it says that they had darkness, it uses other words, gloom, contempt, walking in darkness, dwelling in darkness. Um, it's not describing some sort of literal darkness, as if the sun didn't shine or it was a perpetual eclipse. But it's, it's really getting at the idea of spiritual darkness. And, and that's something, that's a theme in scripture, this light and darkness because all of Israel but especially at this point northern Israel had repeatedly walked and lived in darkness they had lived for themselves rather than God they had served idols rather than the creator uh, they had fallen into all of the the practices of the nations around them they were uh, I mean people speculate why it calls them Galilee of the nations but I mean, in a way, they're probably more characterized by the surrounding nations, the Gentile nations, than their law or their, the God of, of Israel. And so they're dwelling in, in darkness. But this language of, of darkness and light, I mean, when, I, when I read this, I, I have a hard time not thinking about uh, Star Wars, right? The, the, the light and the, and the dark, this kind of imagery. Um, and, and that whether it's the, the original um, 
trilogy or the more recent kind of reboots, they both begin with you know, this darkness over the land, you know, whether it's the, the empire and the dark side of the forest or the, or the first order and the darkness there and, and people you know, longing that there's going to be somehow light shining into the midst of, of darkness. And I think that that's part of the reason that, that Star Wars resonates so strongly because it actually touches on something that we know of the human experience, that there is, in fact, darkness in the world. And, I mean, I, I was praying about that in, in the pastoral prayer, that there, there are so many pockets of darkness, um, whether it's totalitarian states or human trafficking or drug cartels or uh, almost any aspect of any industry in the world that we see darkness, that the, that the world isn't the way that it should be. And then, of course, that darkness isn't just out there. Uh, we see darkness in churches. We see darkness in families, both Christian and non-Christian. Uh, we see darkness even in our own hearts. And this is something that we'll actually sing in our final song. If you, if you look at the, the words that of All I Have is Christ on, on page 10, your order of worship, um, it says, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. If you would not love me first, I would refuse you still. But I ran my help. You looked on my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. And you see how at the, the beginning when it's describing the, the condition of our lives apart from Christ, it says that, I, that we were lost in darkest night, that we're, we're, we're walking in darkness. Again, not this literal darkness, but this, this spiritual dark darkness, thinking that Somehow our sin can bring joy in life, that we can get some sort of true happiness or true satisfaction from it, running the hellbound race indifferent to the way. Um, but then in, in this song, it says, but, but Christ, all I have is Christ, that he shines the light into our places of, of darkness. And, and it's the same here in our text from Isaiah, where there's this backdrop of, of darkness uh, for, for Zebulun, for Naphtali. And they were, of course, the, the first area in Israel to go into exile with Assyria. And eventually, the rest of Israel would follow in exile for their sin, the gloom, the, the darkness. And it's saying that, that there will come a time when God will shine his light into that darkness. And it, it reminds me of, I don't, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of driving in the Midwest in areas where it's flat as far as the eye can see and there aren't really trees, that it'll be you know, p pitch blackness all around you. You can only see as far as your headlights. And, and then early in the morning, the, the horizon starts to lighten. And then as soon as the sun peaks its head over the horizon, everything is flooded with light. It's not where there's hills and, and mountains, that it's just pretty much all or, or nothing in light. And that's the image here, this, this light flooding into Zebulun and Naphtali. Or uh, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, uh, in the, the, the battle of, of Helm's Deep, they, they battle all night in the dark against Urkai. And then eventually, as the, the morning starts to dawn, Gandalf appears on the hill, light shines down. They come with the, 
the, the riders of Rohirrim and, and shatter the darkness that's there. Or you can even think about it like where you're in your room and you drop something on the ground in the dark. You know, maybe you're about to go to bed, you don't want to turn the light on again, so you try to find it in the dark and you keep scrambling for it and, and groping for it. You can't find it. And so you, you get frustrated, you turn the light on, and it just has been there the whole time. You just couldn't see it. Uh, but then the light can flood in, and you can't believe that you couldn't find it in the first place. And so this is this image of light of God shining into darkness. And so we, we see the darkness, but now turning to our second section, let's look at this light more. Because what does this light in verse 1 and 2 actually look like? What is it? Um, and you'll notice that it looks like an experience of, of joy. Look in your Bible at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And so it, it's saying that this, this light is, is rejoicing, it's joy, it's Joy like the harvest. You, you bring in the harvest that you've worked so long, and then now you can enjoy this harvest feast of, of plenty and the, the joy associated with that, and the kind of joy that probably we don't fully comprehend as people who you know, don't farm and aren't dependent on subsistence farming. But then it also brings in this, the second image of it's joy like dividing up the spoil you know, after the, the battle. And, and maybe that's for us would be the closest thing of after you've worked really hard through the month, you finally get your paycheck and you get the bonus along with it and you can you know, divide up the spoils and all of your expenses and everything that you need to do and, and you're so happy and joyless about it. And that's what it's saying this light is like. But also, it's like an experience of, of liberation from oppression. Verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And so here, Isaiah is, is pointing back to another story in the Old Testament. Uh, back in Judges chapter 6, the, the people were languishing in darkness under Midian. And it looked like there wasn't any hope until God raised up a man named Gideon, who, with only 300 men against all odds, was able to rout the forces of Midian to deliver his people from oppression and bondage of a, of a foreign power. And, and so what, what this is saying is that, is that this, this light is this freedom from oppression and bondage that God has in the past shown the light as he did through Gideon overthrowing Midian and that he is able to do it again and that this freedom from oppression will be even greater than freedom from Midian, because it'll involve freedom from sin and death and all the powers of evil that hold us captive. But then finally, uh, this light is an experience of peace. Verse 5, for every boot of tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And that one's a, a little bit more confusing, obscure of what it, it's saying. But what it's getting at is th this picture of it's the end of war. That, that you need, the instruments of war, they're done. The, the garments uh, 
and blood. They're no longer necessary. It's all going to be burned up. The war is over. There's joy, there's liberation, and there's complete and utter peace. And so if you think about yourself as a resident of Zebulun and Naphtali at the time of Isaiah, you're about to be overrun by Assyria. You're about to be deported to a foreign land. Um, and it seems like there's no hope in life, no light that is coming. And if you heard this prophecy of Isaiah, it would be so comforting, so encouraging to know yeah, God is going to accomplish this, that this darkness is not going to be the end. It's not going to have the last word. And you'll notice that actually the, these, this prophecy of joy and liberation and peace, it's written in the past tense um, as if it has already happened. And scholars call this the, the prophetic past tense. And it's saying that, that what God is going to do is so sure um, and his eternal purpose that he can just talk about it as if it's already happened, um, even though it's a future reality. But if we think about it, though, this promise of God shining light into dark places isn't something that's just for Zebulun and Naphtali, but actually there is a promise here for us as well, that, that he's promising the joy as harvest of liberation from oppression, of true peace, that there, there's hope. And I, I've laughed about this in, in sermons before, but I, I say all the time, and this is why we're called Hope Presbyterian Church. Um, but it's true that, that this is why we're called Hope Presbyterian Church, because there's this conviction in the scriptures that the darkness and the pain and the misery that we see in our lives or in the world, that it's not the whole story, that it doesn't have the, the last word, that God will shine this light of joy and liberation and peace into the world. And so wherever you are then, I think that this is so important to remember because some of you may be at the, the place of having suicidal thoughts or struggling with depression, thinking, no, there's, there's no light, there's, there's no hope. And um, some of you might just be depressed or, or maybe just feeling cynical towards the world or just completely distracted by all the cares and, and concerns of life. And that we have to believe, based on the promise of God's word, that, that there actually is hope and there's life, and that God can shine into these places of darkness, and that they'll be gone in the same way as turning the light on in your, in your room. That there's, when you flip the light on, light, the darkness doesn't somehow linger, that it's immediately dispelled by the light. And so we've seen the darkness, we've seen here the, the light. But then third and finally, let's look at the, the light giver. Where does this light come from? And some people might think, well, maybe the light comes from the arts, or maybe the, the light comes from social action, or from having the right person in office, or through having the right political party in control, or the right system of, of government, or the light comes through some kind of human institution or philosophy or psychology. There's so many ways where we think this is how we're going to be able to shine light into dark places in the world. But look at what Isaiah says in verse 6 about the, the source of this light. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, as I, as I read that, I was laughing to Benjamin. He said he's going to be in Handel's Messiah soon. And he said a place far away, hours away. So I was going to tell you guys about it. But, um, but uh, you, you can think of Handel's Messiah, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, um, if, you, if you know that. But what Isaiah is pointing to here is this, the character of this person who is going to be able to shine light, this light giver. And, and you notice, first off, that he has a human identity. It says, for to us, a child is born, a son is given. And that isn't what people would expect. What's going to shine the light of God into the darkest places of the world? A child? It seems strange. But this is, of course, pointing back to what we talked about last week in Isaiah chapter 7, where he was saying that God is going to defeat the nations. He's going to bring peace. And how are you going to know that this is true? A virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It, that a child being born, a human, truly human child, is the great sign that God is in control. He's going to defeat his enemies. But then if you look closer, though, it's not just that this light giver has a human identity, but he also has this divine identity because it says he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. And some Bibles put a comma there, so Wonderful Counselor, or maybe it's Wonderful Counselor, depending on how they divide up your text. So Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then it, it even goes on to say that his rule is going to be forever, that it's from now and for all time. It's this eternal rule, this eternal kingdom. And you think, who could this possibly refer to? That there, there's no way that this could refer to a mere human being, that to, to call them mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, to be ruling from now and forever. It, it, it's not anything we could say about a human. And so you think, who is this? Well, it's interesting that in the, the history of the interpretation of this passage, that the pre-Christian Jewish interpreters, um, there was a lot of mystery, but they did see this as a prediction of the Messiah to come, saying this is going to refer to somebody who's going to come and shine light into the places of, of darkness. But then a lot of post-Christian Jewish interpreters, and really probably trying to answer Christianity, started to say, well, maybe this is actually talking about Hezekiah, who was born um, just r right around this time and was a, a righteous and good king. Um, and that, that, that's, so it's actually just a past event. It's not a prediction of the, of the Messiah. But I think that we, we can already see why that interpretation probably doesn't work. Because, yes, if this is a human, it's a child. So we can't say it's only God. Uh, sorry, you know, it's, it's, but then at the same time, this is saying he's mighty God, he's everlasting father. So it, there has to be this divine identity. And Hezekiah's rule is over. <laughs> um, that, that there's no person who has lived um, that we can point to, except for one. And so this is where, as we turn to the New Testament, we say, who is this? And, and 
We heard actually uh, Cindy reading Matthew 4. If you, if you turn there again in your Bible, Matthew 4, verse 12, it's, this is Jesus after he had been tempted by Satan. And it says that when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And then verse 13, And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that the, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. And so this is saying um, that, that Jesus is the one who comes as the, the, the light giver to bring the, the joy and the, the liberation from oppression and the, the peace. And he specifically ministered in Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, lifting the shame, lifting the disgrace, lifting uh, the darkness through his, his ministry. And, and just as a, as a side note, as, as I was thinking about this and studying this passage this week, you know, that I, I, I think you probably experienced this as well, that there are you have faith, and that faith is, is there. But there are kind of strong days and weak days of faith, because true faith can be strong and, and weak. And, and that, but there are times for me when I'll read a certain passage of Scripture or hear something, and it's just you, and you're, you're forced to step back and say, wow, this is really true, um, that, this, that this is something that nobody could ever make up. And, that's, and I had this experience of that with this very passage, because... As I said, this is written 700 years before Christ. No one fully got the fact that it was describing somebody who would be both fully man and, and fully God. So it's not that the disciples could have just sat down and conspired to make all of this up. But yet at the same time, it perfectly describes Jesus in the way that when I kept saying, who is this? Who is this? That it's just... It feels so obvious to us because there's no one else it could be that to that a child that is born that is also mighty God everlasting father prince of peace that this could only speak of Christ and that has vast enormous implications for us as we think about our lives here today because Jesus is the the child that is born to us and that means that he really was human, which means he really can identify with our weakness and our pain, which means he really can stand in our place on the cross and bear the sin that we deserve, which means that redemption is actually possible. But then also, he's our wonderful counselor, which means that we don't have to rely on, on human wisdom, that we can go to him for uh, wisdom beyond any mere person, that, that he's not an indifferent counselor. He's not a, a counselor who charges us by the hour to listen to our problems, but he is the, the wonderful counselor who can actually make a difference like no one else ever could. But then also he is the, the mighty God. And so he's not just a, a good moral teacher. He's not just a human prophet, but he's one who has the ability to command and then the, the authority and the power to actually enforce his commands, to actually make a difference. 
And the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word took on flesh. And so because He is God, He can shatter the sin in our life, the, the patterns of, of addiction. He can actually deliver us from the domain of darkness, that, that He has the authority and the power to do whatever He wants, and that in reality He can bear the full weight of our sin that no mere human being could ever bear because He is God. But then also, he is our everlasting father. And this isn't trying to confuse the Trinity or say that the, the father is the, is the son. But what it's saying is that, that Christ, as our king, has this fatherly care for each and every single one of us. That, that as the, a loving father protects, cares, guides a child, so our father protects and guides and, and cherishes us as those whom he has redeemed. But then finally, he is our, our prince of peace. And you think, what does it mean for him to be prince of peace? Well, scripture says that apart from Christ, that we're actually enemies of God, that we are in rebellion against him, that we justly deserve his, his punishment. And so, you know, I heard someone once say, as you consider Christianity, what are you saved from? And some of you say, well, we're saved from ourselves. We're saved from sin. We're saved from the power of the devil. But if you think, what are we saved from? Ultimately, the reason Jesus came was to save us from the wrath of God against sin that we justly deserve, that God saves us from himself, through himself, by sending his son to, to die and to suffer in our place. So as the, the Prince of Peace, Jesus stands in the, the breach between us and, and God, takes the punishment we deserve, gives us his life, makes peace between us and God. And then flowing out of that is, is inner peace, knowing that, that we have an, a new identity, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that, that no accusation that Satan can wield against us has any power because of who we are in Jesus. And then that overflows into to peace with others because we can begin to forgive as Christ forgave us, begin to love as, as he first loved us, that, that there's peace that flows from us as those who follow the, the Prince of Peace. But then, of course, we won't fully experience and know Jesus as the true Prince of Peace until we enter into the, the peace of the new heavens and the new earth, where we'll have resurrection bodies like Christ's resurrection body, where Really, it will be the, the joy of the harvest, the, the liberation from all sin, all death, all evil, all darkness gone, all darkness dispelled. Um, and that is a certainty for those who are in Christ. And uh, Steve shared this quote with me yesterday, um, but Calvin is reflecting on this idea of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, and he says, Life without this king is restless and miserable. And that's true, that, that life without this king described here, without this light giver, is restless and miserable. That we're, we're restless and miserable because we look for these dim night lights that we think will display, dispel the darkness. And, and so we look to money or children or spouse or success or so many things thinking this will shine light into the dark places of my life. When really only the radiance of God's son, S-O-N, who is his son, S-U-N, who is the, 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, is the only one who can truly dispel the darkness. And it's him that we see symbolized and and sealed here in in this meal. We see here his human identity. For us, to us, a child is born, a, a son is given, that he was really, truly human. So he really died. His body was really broken. His blood was really shed. Um, but then also he's the, the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so that death could not hold him, could not contain him, that he rose again from the dead in victory over sin and death. And so that then we can have his light shining in us, his life becoming our life, his, our sin becoming his on the, the cross, um, true peace with God, peace with others, peace um, in ourselves through the Prince of 